Welcome to The Beauty of Conflict, a podcast about how to deal with conflict at work, at home, and everywhere else in your life. Hi, I'm Chris Marie. And I'm Susan. We run a company called Thrive, and we specialize in conflict resolution, communication, and building strong, thriving teams and relationships. Conflict shows up in our lives in so many ways. Most people, unfortunately, are not very good at handling conflict. Most people have never been taught the right tools for dealing with conflict. And then it leads to unnecessary friction, arguments, passive-aggressive emails, tears, hurtful comments, stuckness, all kinds of things we don't want. We're on a mission to change all of that. We've spent the last 20 years teaching our clients how to handle conflict in a whole new way. We're here to show you that conflict doesn't have to be scary and overwhelming. With the right tools, you can turn a moment of conflict into a moment of reinvention. Conflict can pave the way into a beautiful new system at work, a new way of leading your team, a new way of parenting, a new chapter of your marriage where you feel more connected than ever before. Conflict can lead to beautiful things. Are you tired of COVID? Well, let's just say we are. (laughs) (laughs) I sure am. (laughs) You might also be tired of you know, wearing masks or your kids being home or even social justice issues. It's not just COVID. Now we have social justice and we're on the eve of our election. The next three months is going to be all about that. Yes. And not to mention that we still have major issues with our economy. On a global level, we are constantly tense and at odds with most countries. Many won't even let us in anymore. So we have a lot going on that, frankly, does give us cause to be concerned. And even, so those are the big pictures, but you also, you may have struggled. You may have gotten COVID. Somebody you love may have gotten COVID or financially you may have been impacted. Maybe there was a loved one who actually got laid off or you're your business owner and you're desperately trying to keep it afloat. Or you're in a business that is actually doing well and you are working more hours than you ever did from home because you happen to be at the office at 5 a.m. and 10 p.m. <laughs> because your office is your home. <laughs> yes. These are just some of the things that we are facing on a regular day-to-day basis now. Even if you have, you're coming up to the school year and you've got kids at home and maybe schools are going to open, maybe the kids are going to go one day a week, but you have to manage maybe homeschooling while also doing your work from home. Right. And, you know, if I kind of look at any more variations on mask, (laughs) it's amazing to me the number of different types of masks you could have. (laughs) Then there's the whole people that don't wear masks and my level of frustration with that. Mm -hmm. The things that are creating just a lot of spin. And not to mention just the regular things. Like I have an aging mother who Mm -hmm. during covid her dementia kicked up big time because she was isolated. We he found is isolated. is isolated, although we found a way she's actually learned how to use Zoom, which has been helpful and kind of a fun way to reconnect. That her. was a whole process, folks. Just let me tell you, <laughs> learn teaching Bernie oh, Zoom. And, and my, I have two sisters, the three of us talking on the phone <laughs> on a regular basis to figure that out and the desire to use house party or FaceTime or Zoom. You know, I'm like, why don't we use the easiest one? But no, you know, so needless to say, there are all sorts of stressors that are in your world in some fashion, some more for some more dominantly than others. And we keep wanting it to go back to normal, but as we are now coming to the reality that this is our new normal with having COVID in our world and working remotely in many situations. And probably really, I think what comes foreground to me more than anything else is what really is 
front and center for us is this notion that we really, there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to believe that we had things under control mm-hmm. and there was some level of certainty and we could predict, you know, that has been shattered, mm-hmm. not I- just individually, but on a global level. And I think the United States, if you're in the United States or Canada, but we've prided ourselves on, you know, we can do this. We're individuals. We can make things happen. And it's really confronting when when we can't with that helplessness. Yeah. Like I can't power over COVID. I can pretend it's not there and I'm likely going to get sick. And we realized, you know, one of the things that because of the work we've been doing just to kind of keep ourselves current and relevant and with an income, has been focusing on this idea of how to help and support people with this uncertainty and to be able to deal with stress. And that's also led us to our third book, which is going to be The Beauty of Conflict Within. So just even thinking about you, take a moment right now and think about how does stress show up for you? Because we're all in stress, but we respond very differently. So there's some people that you can tell you have stress because you have a fast heart rate or you have indigestion or you have a shortness of breath. Those are physical, some physical signs, excess perspiration when you shouldn't be perspiring. Or even talking super fast. Yeah. Yeah. Are signs of stress moving fast, eating fast. Yours might be you get impatient. You get impatient with yourself if you can't do something or your spouse or somebody else who's not doing things fast enough. Or Or like me, upset with the people not wearing their mask or staying six feet away. Mm -hmm. You know, it shows up in various ways. Or you're just, you're trying to make a task perfect and you can't, or even you're avoiding certain tasks, or you just, things seem to take longer for you to get things done. Those are some signs of stress, impatience, anger, perfectionism, because that perfectionism is one of mine where if I can get control over this, it'll give me some sense of, I don't know, that I'm in control when I'm really not. I know one of the things that this experience in the last six months has really kind of made me realize is that, because I've always been someone who's had sort of an intense personality, would you say? Yes, I would say that. A little bit of a hot streak, (laughs) a bit reactive, you know. And what I've learned is that really... I think I have been reactive and angry because I, underneath it, when I've really dropped in and I've had to really drop in during these months, has been this despair. Like I don't have a lot of faith in humanity sometimes. And that's pretty significant that you don't have faith in humanity. I know. I mean, people think of me as someone who has a pretty strong life force, which you do. I do. And there's, you know, Anytime you have those peaks, you have those valleys. So as high as I can go and as Mm. positive, you know, I can also go pretty low. And I really had to learn that a lot of times when I'm in my rage or anger, underneath it is this sense of, I just want to quit. And that has been something that's been a struggle to really, one, acknowledge, because you'll often (laughs) say to me, you need to reframe that. (laughs) Well, you can't go there. (laughs) It's too threatening to me if you you feel despair. You know, and yet I've also really gotten that that is a big part of what I call my kind of landscape of my emotions. And one- This is, by the way, you should say who you are because some listeners don't know our names. Oh, I'm Susan. And I'm Chris Marie. That probably comes from various points in time in my life. And, you know, when I was in my 20s dealing with my cancer, I really, you know, there was a lot of, I wasn't able to get control of that. And you weren't able to get control. Well, my doctors were basically like, we have nothing to support. 
you know, you don't have long to live. And I remember in the, my wrestling with that, I really had to come up with alternative ways and deeply find a way to deeply believe in them. So, you know, a lot of my studies during my seven years of dealing with cancers had to do with more mind-body approaches, energetic approaches, spiritual ideas, you know, going back and training with two medical doctors who really offered me the chance to see through a lens of Chinese medicine, looking at things through breath and energy, looking at trauma, looking at a variety of different ways of working with my own psychology and finding a path through it. But I do remember one of my mentors saying to me, you know, years later when I kind of got myself back on the path of no longer dying of cancer, he said, I never understood why you had, where you got the will to live from. Mm. You know, I think, you know, that was part of how I got the will to live was to investigate, explore, learn, train. You know, that's when I got my master's. It's when I went to- What was your master's in? Applied behavioral sciences. And what is family that? Family systems, okay. working with family systems, organizational systems. I also got, uh, you know, went through integrative body psychotherapy. I did various mind and body training through the Haven and their whole extensive 10 years of, you know, six years, I guess, of getting my degree from there. So it sounds like first you actually had your own experience of one being at the brink of death and having to, because you didn't have other people to help you from the medical model to really discover what worked for you. And then you went and got the education yes, to help other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And constantly, because that was the one thing I could do, explore from a different ways of thinking, different perspectives, different medical perspectives, psychological perspectives, spiritual, philosophical. And that actually gave me the meaning that I was searching for to kind of keep going. Mm -hmm. Because if I didn't do that, I could feel that sense of dropping into that despair. And, you know, I think my life got full enough and busy enough that I was engaged in a lot of different things. But this experience of COVID has brought back up just how deep that track can run. So Susan, how do you deal with that sense of despair now through the COVID experience? Well, I'd say one thing, you know, in spite of how you feel about it, is <laughs> letting myself, you know, I had to really recognize, oh, that's what's coming up because it could manifest itself as me being sort of in my either reactivity or my procrastination or mm -hmm. my sense of hopelessness. Those, that's how stress shows up for you. Yeah. That's how it would show up. Mm -hmm. My learned helplessness. I shouldn't say hopelessness that in that, you know, like I can't do this. I don't know how to do this versus, oh, wait a minute, what's underneath that? And then I'd feel that sense of despair. And, and so what happens when you actually let yourself, Susan, feel that sense of despair rather than, cause your symptoms are, I love how you described it, procrastination or what was the other one? Learned helplessness or, I or get getting reactive. Angry. Get or getting, yeah. you know, those are my three go-tos, <laughs> you know? And I know in those situations that I actually need to do some form of breath work, energetic work to drop into my emotional field. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing. I've learned a broad range because I'm so- <laughs> of tools. You know, of tools for working with breath in the body. And then allowing myself to, what I call, touch the trauma and come back. Like that was something I learned that in working with trauma is really critical. Like not so much to deep dive into your trauma, but to learn that you can touch it and then come back. Because if you learn that route, then you can actually get more comfortable being in the feeling more. 
I know that you have helped me kind of, you've stood with me when I am in my wobble and helped me kind of touch it and come back Mm -hmm. and create. And how do you work with your clients when you're coaching them? Really? Well, one, giving them more permission to explore what may seem like, okay, this can't be good. It can't be good for me to explore despair or (laughs) how much I want to quit right now. Or, And I'm kind of like, no, it, it actually is helpful to talk about that, to allow yourself to recognize that's a choice. Even if it's when you're being trained to work with suicide, you know, you get trained, you get told, make them sign a contract. And I always thought that was the most insane thing. Because first off, if I really was suicidal, signing that contract wasn't going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. But what I really- you have personal knowledge of this. Yeah. And when I've worked with highly suicidal people, what I found is when they believe that I still hold them as able and that I think, okay, I want you to tell me about how, what you're going to do, what's going on, how you're going to choose to do it. And I don't say they can't. I just say, yeah, that's a choice. I hope you don't make it. Mm -hmm. Susan, that's really powerful to hold. And I think that's might really shock people that you would hold them as able and actually have them talk about it. But it, I guess it makes sense because if it's spinning around in my mind and I'm not talking about it, I'm probably more likely to be acting on it versus if I confide with you, well, this is why, this is what I'm thinking about. And you're holding me as able, so you're not telling me I can't. Right. And I'm also saying, I know this is uncomfortable. Explore that discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be here right with you. I can't fix it. That's the other thing that I think we often make the mistake of is because of our own discomfort, we want to fix it for somebody else. And 90% of the time, probably 99, we can't fix it. Well, and I think actually that's so hard for us to learn. I know for myself, Chris Marie, that I want to control it, fix it, make it better. And that's kind of just covering up what the other person versus being there, listening, having empathy, which is really the most transformational because people, all of us want to feel seen and heard for what we're experiencing in this moment and to know that somebody else is there. We're not alone. Yeah. And to also recognize that, you know, people can give you a path and provide you like, we're going to talk in a few minutes about things you can be doing to support yourself in stress. But we also, you know, because that's, if you can begin to experiment and try them, then you can figure out what works for you. Now, I, Chris Marie, have a very different experience. So you go to despair or reactivity. I go to, what can I control? How can I make myself better? How can I make you better? And how can she make me better? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when I'm faced with uncertainty, and this is from my Olympic experience, I learned so many tools to how to control me and my body, my psyche, so that I could perform. And I, when I was in one of those suicidal, because I couldn't perform, and this was on our weight of gold, I was injured. I couldn't, it was like COVID. I couldn't make myself row. That's when I dipped into that suicidal place. And I had nobody to talk Mm -hmm. to or hold me as able. So those are hard times when somebody who can control, I was able to control my body and be successful until I couldn't. Mm -hmm. But the tools that I learned as an Olympic athlete, and then when I went and got my MBA and worked at Arthur Henderson and and started coaching executives who were trying to control everything, Mm -hmm. one, I recognized that there were a lot of tools that I learned organically about how to calm myself in those high-stress situations and see things from a different perspective so that I could keep getting in the boat and rowing and develop that resiliency in the process as opposed to 
burning myself out. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's kind of cool is that what you learned, there's now the science that you've also studied because she has the other thing about Chris Marie is that she actually does want to fully understand it. Yeah. In terms of like the, you know, exploring. Yeah. They have all the, like the polyvagal theory. So I've, I've become a certified master coach, a mind body coach. I've done the nine days, all these different things that science has backed up now, what I naturally organically was playing around with and discovering in my own body and psyche. And, you know, I always have to kind of limit her from going too far into the science of that, even though, you know, maybe sometimes we should. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and even when I'm working with clients, there's so many ways in, and we're going to talk about the tools that we use with clients, because there's things that you can use at a mental level to support yourself, at a physical level, to support yourself at an emotional level and also a spiritual level. So I want you to think about that, listeners, like what is going on for you mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually? And how do you right now support yourself in those different areas? Sometimes it's helpful to break it down, to look at your, one, your self-stress and your self-care, because stress is really personal. We have this global stress events, but how we experience them is very personal. We all have our own styles and how we put the world together. And stress isn't always bad. Now, this is a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of an interesting, what you just described, you know, creating your own body compass in terms of mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and recognize, this is Susan, that body compass. But also, you know, I'm a more universal person. So I was just thinking when you said it, like what kind of take the big picture of the world and sort of do the same breakdown, physically what's (laughs) happening, mentally what's happening, you know, emotionally emotionally what's happening, spiritually spiritually what's happening. And because I can kind of look at the themes in our, on our planet, you know, everything from like global warming to COVID to what's out here, politics, ideas around religion, theory, you could put them into different categories. So you and, take more of a universal focus, I and, would take. Well, what I know is when I start to look at the universal themes, they will be showing up in my life either in or out of balance. Huh. And so it actually helps me take that universal path and come into how is that showing up in my life. Give me one example where COVID is showing up in, well, I guess you can easily that say one, how that, that was showing up in your life. Physical ones show up, but okay. So emotionally, I can look at our polarization around politics, the right, wrong. And I, underlying that, think a huge dimension of that is our inability to allow ourselves to feel emotionally. Like the outrage is simply a, a bottled up, you know, layer of emotion that people don't you know, I think white supremacy. And I think we have learned to cut ourselves off from our body and our emotions and we've made it, you know, hmm. I guess a systemic you, issue. <laughs> this is Chris Marie from, I can think about black and white thinking. We get into that polarization and that black and white thinking. And I know from the work that I've done inside of me, anytime I'm caught in black and white thinking, I'm actually identified with some part of me that's very young, that wants to get control over things, that doesn't have the capacity to see bigger picture. But that's a an arrested development part of me when we get into that black and white thinking, what yes. I do. I mean, you've gone to it from a developmental point, which is one dimension of that. Yeah. You could go to it from an emotional 
point too. What are the emotional planes that don't show up in that? Mm-hmm. What are the spiritual? Where yeah. are the religion well, and yeah, spirituality like, that has broken that off? Even white supremacy thinking that another race is less than mm-hmm. is a spiritual divide because yes. versus more having that universal love and oneness and that we're all equal as human beings. And you know, you could and if you play with that one enough, you begin to see why does somebody need to separate and hate and or feel better than another race, usually because of their own sense of inadequacy. Yeah. So even though white there, supremacy sounds tough, underneath it is a lot of insecurity. And insecurity, like I want to grab all the money and all the toys and I want to grab my eggs and take care of me because I don't trust that I will be taken care of. That's kind of also another spiritual yeah. divide. And because we don't quit dropping into those deeper levels, mm-hmm. it remains right. a battle at the top. And so we're talking about this yes. because there's that big global picture, but this actually comes right back down into us as individuals. We have or that same even, dynamic going on in some fashion. Yeah. And the same thing, I have more of a relationship. This is Chris Marie. I have more of a relational lens. And so <laughs> you didn't actually share this, but when I'm upset or feel like the world's not working out, I look to Susan because she's I'm in relationship with her and I blame her. She's the source of my problems. And if only she would change, then I would feel okay. And I don't know, Susan, if that happens for you universally, if you tend to blame... Oh. I, oh. I was kind of giving you a softball. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I, I tend to blame, you know, big global pictures. Like I, you know, when I'm driving erratically and pissed off at drivers, I don't tend to blame myself or even the other driver. I just think the roads have been poorly designed <laughs> and there's not enough stoplights or, you know, and I go bigger, big, you know. There. Versus I blame you because you're yelling in the car mm-hmm. and I don't want to hear it. If you could just be quiet, then I'd be okay. So just even think for yourselves, do you tend to have like a big picture? Do you tend to blame out externally? Do you blame your partner? Or the other piece is individually. Do you tend to blame yourself? Like, does it implode inside? Like, well, if only I were smarter, prettier, whatever, quicker, then I'd be okay. And here's The thing, we're starting off because we want to shift now and give you some practical ways you can work with these different things. But the key first is to have some permission to let yourself begin to look at the good, the bad, the ugly of this, because I think that's critical. And I'm Susan. (laughs) And so uh, I just want Susan to actually say my name. She never does. And so you guys don't know who's talking. We're experiencing this (laughs) as we talk because Chris Marie is... Writing, writing, you can probably hear me writing, telling me, I love you, and Ed. this is what's going on. So, so let's one, dive into some of excellent. these areas. Good job. So, some of the we want to give you some tools. So, at the mental level, one of the things you may not realize is we are always our brain, because of survival focus, is really pumping out a lot of negative thoughts all the time, and you don't have to believe those negative thoughts. They're not true. And we tend to think, oh, if my brain's saying it, it's true. So we want you to turn up the awareness. You can put a timer on your watch and every hour notice, what am I telling myself? It's kind of like eavesdropping on your mind. Like you might be saying, you know, you're too lazy. You're not good enough. You've got to hurry up. They're going to be mad at you. These are some of my thoughts. And so 
being able to track your thoughts and pay attention to them, again, as best you can without a huge amount of judgment. That might be hard, especially if you're thinking about your thoughts. <laughs> but, you know, write those down too. And then, you know, there's lots of ways you can work with, and we spend a lot of time in our coaching working on this. And, the, you know, there's everything from thought work to sort of turn around the thought, to question the thought. It's even reframing. If you think, you know, like if I've gained weight, which I have, I could say, oh my God, I'm disgusting. I'm fat. Or, no, I'm not. I'm heavier than I want to be. And I'm being choiceful about my eating and I'm increasing my exercise and I'm doing the best I can. Much more compassionate. Or even, you know, I think about what I was saying to you. I tend to sometimes want to, you know, I have some despair about humanity. So if I recognize that I don't trust people because of the level of hatred I see, or I don't think that's mm. ever going to change. Like I can find evidence to where do I trust someone? Who do I trust? What does that look like? Versus staying in the fixed place of humanity is going down. So the challenge or opportunity for you is to notice your thoughts. And I bet if you put a timer on, you're going to have some repetition in your thoughts because <laughs> they, mm-hmm. mine is, you know, I'm going to be late. Somebody's going to be mad at me. So just notice what your thoughts are. So that's at the mental plane. At the physical plane, we often especially now with Zoom and team meetings, we're kind of going nonstop, some of you that are working a lot, and we don't actually give ourselves room to take breaks. Just breaks where you take 15 minutes, go outside, because you can right now, look at the birds, the trees, anything to help slow down your fast-paced mind and settle your nervous system. And even if you can't go outside, you know, take a nap. There's a, The Power of Full Engagement. It's a great book about athletes, and I'm sure yes. you can relate to this. But with tennis players, they noticed, you know, that what happened in that one-minute break was so critical to their ability. So, Chris Marie, I mean, I imagine even for you don't get a one minute break in your <laughs> rowing thing. But in tennis, you always have between the games that one minute where you're sitting there. And if you watch tennis, watch the players because you can tell the difference. Some of them just, you can tell they don't, they're not thinking about what they just did. They just stop everything for that minute. Those are usually the ones who win. And they found that to be true. Versus the ones that are analyzing, oh, I shouldn't have done mm-hmm. that. I should do this next. Those actually stayed in a stressful state and were not perform in the long run. So they also make a reference to the world leaders. Winston Churchill, I guess, was known for his naps. Yeah. So does John F. Kennedy, you yeah. know, and how often do you take a nap? I mean, we might take more now because of COVID, but probably not. And yeah. maybe that's okay to do. Because there, you might have a belief, no, I've got to keep going. I'm not productive because that has become one of our themes in our culture is I got to, got to, got to. And it's and- not very helpful. And you guys know how I love horses. If you ever go out and watch horses in a pasture, they spend a lot of time just standing. (laughs) Just standing. So that's on the physical dimension. Then we've got a lot more tools. We're just giving you some little tidbits that you can use. Today. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And the other dimension is emotions. And we know a lot of people are like, oh, don't talk about feelings. Feelings are dangerous. Like even me with your despair. (laughs) And a lot of times you may not even realize how much you are cutting yourself off from your emotions. And so, you know. Emotions are actually natural, healthy, and we have not been taught to feel them, to uh, identify and work with them. And that's a lot of what we do in when Mm -hmm. I coach somebody is dropping in and learning how not to be washed away with your feelings, but to work with them. So some simple things. I mean, music is a huge way to begin to become more 
comfortable with a range of emotion. Finding music that expresses anger, that has a rhythm or a beat to it, that you're comfortable enough to hear that can let you tap into your own sense of anger and outrage. Could also be your loving, your lyrical. There's things, Gabriella Roth does the uh, five rhythms, which are just looking at distinct rhythms in music. They also are equated to some emotional play. Another thing, if you're kind of like, oh, I'm just, you know, you're kind of on more the sad spectrum, but you can't let yourself cry because it feels too vulnerable, just put on a movie that you know you're going to cry. I think Love Song or Brian's Song, one of those. okay. That might be a bit, you're (laughs) going for the big, big beat, but, you know, or, you know, it's kind of like Terms of Endearment. That's true. I mean, you know, which is... Actually, yeah, we. I don't need to tell that but, story. But no. <laughs> find a movie that you know is emotional that you then naturally cry, and you don't feel uncomfortable doing it. It'll it'll let you move that your energy easily. And even you may notice a lot of children's themes have you know Lilo and Stitch. You can watch that, and but it actually does talk about her emotions. Yeah. She's a very emotional being. Stitch is a very reactive. I really love Lilo and Stitch. I think it's a great movie. <laughs> the other yeah. thing that you see kids doing, which is simple, is just coloring or doodling. Let yourself as another way to let yourself move the energy and it's simple and you can do it in a meeting. So now let's go to the last dimension that we're going to talk about today, which is spiritual. And we're not talking religious. We're just talking spiritual, which means kind of connecting to something larger than ourselves. And there are many ways. I mean, for I know for myself, a big aspect of that happens when I go out in nature. Chris Maria, what about you? What, what brings <laughs> that up for you? Well, it's, you know, it's actually recognizing because I can get into the place where I think it's all on my shoulders. I feel overly responsible. Mm. I've got to make it happen. And recognizing, you know what, I'm just not that powerful. And turning it over to something larger than myself is a way to let go of my responsibility, which is so crushing energetically. And, you know, I think we think of religion as the solution versus spirituality. And that is a key difference. Like I remember when I visited in Europe, you know, and there's many cathedrals and churches and all sorts of things. And I remember I could walk in, I'm not really a religious person, but there were ones I could walk in where just, I felt cold and separated Mm. and like, there's no life here. And then there were these other ones where it was, I could walk in and my heart would expand. And that's when I really got, there's a difference between religion and spirituality. So Susan, these are empty cathedrals. Yeah. I mean, there might be people in there. There might be somebody up praying. I assume churches are often left open, or at least they seem to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, So you have to find where do you feel that sense of, I don't want to compare churches to coffee shops, but I will. <laughs> I mean, just because I dare to go there. But there are times when I can walk into a coffee shop or a place where, and I just have this felt sense of expansion. Mm-hmm. People are connecting to each other. The kids are in the play area, whatever's happening. And then there are times where I walk in and it feels very cold and tight and there's, you know, People are angry. Or it's it's clangy, (laughs) too much energy. But that's kind of, to me, gives me the rhythm of when is it in that expansion and openness? And when is it in just seeming painfully loud and difficult? So right now, you may not be able to, if you are a part of uh, church, you may not be able to go there, you know, on Sunday with everybody because of social distancing. But maybe the building is still open and you can go on a Wednesday by yourself, socially distance and do your prayer or meditation. Because bring that part of yourself because there's, and there's all sorts of apps to support you in mindfulness seems to be our word that we like better than spirituality, but really they're talking the same thing, helping you tap into a 
larger sense, reconnect, remember, come back to a sense of wholeness. And it's really about getting out of your mind because your mind is where you scare yourself Mm -hmm. and connecting more to your body, being present in the moment, because that's the only place we have to impact. So hopefully these tools are helpful. If you need more help, we are each available for one-on-one coaching and do it quite a lot and help people regain a sense of their own agency in this time of uncertainty and stress so that you can feel more alive, peaceful, engaged, even amidst all this all these differences, all these challenges, all these opportunities yeah, to come back to a sense of wholeness and fullness, not just separation. Because you will see more opportunities when you drop into that sense of connection to yourself. Okay. All right. Thank you. If you want to learn more about what we discussed today or how to deal with conflict more effectively, Susan and myself, Chris Marie, are both available for individual one-on-one coaching. We also offer couples coaching, which now, as we live and work 24-7 together, may be more important than ever. We continue to do our team facilitation, both live and now virtually. Let's get real. Until you've had a tough conversation over Zoom, you may not be building the trust you need on your team. For the next couple of months, we are offering free virtual trainings to organizations. Our goal is to support you, your team, and your business, both at work and at home during this pandemic. Right now, you can find short videos on my, Chris Marie's LinkedIn and Facebook with tips, tools, and inspiration. To contact us, email thrive at thriving.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E at T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C dot com. Okay, stay safe, stay healthy, and remember, together we're better and stronger. Take care. Take care.